Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and you're listening to Who the Fuck. And on today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Anastasia Lindsay. And Anastasia is a timeless soul and author who has been writing since grade school and has always used empathy, pain, but most importantly, love as her muse to write poems and to help heal. She's also the owner of a small business, Summer Solace, Holistic Healing and Poetry, where she uses different modalities to help others heal, including Reiki, meditation, sound healing, hypnosis, and has recently started her journey into shamanism. Welcome to the show, Anastasia. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this episode since we talked last. Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) That makes me so happy. It's Yeah, I feel like there's definitely a bond between people who have a shared love of writing, but in particular poetry. It's something that it is so, I think, driven by something in your soul at your core. Um, I I think about when I was younger and when I started writing poetry, very similar to you in grade school, and it felt like the most organic form of writing that could come out of me. Do you feel like that was kind of the way it was for you? Yeah. And it's really crazy because I've been going to like a lot of writers conferences. They're mm-hmm. not geared towards poetry, but, you know, I still learn a lot just writing techniques and, you know, they'll ask me, what do you write? And I say poetry. They're like, oh, that's super hard. And I hear it almost everywhere I go. Poetry is hard. Poetry is hard. But for me, it's just like, like you said, it's natural. It is at my core that that's what I write. And I love to do it. And it's really not hard. I mean, I can see the intimidation because poetry, when you read poetry and go to like open mic nights, you're like, wow, that was really good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It can be very intimidating, but you know, it, it is at my core and it's just something that comes so naturally to me. And it is like my safe haven, really. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's beautiful. And, you know, mentioning open mic nights really takes me back um, because I did them in high school and in college. And a lot of my poetry in high school was very much about unrequited love and teenage angst and all of those things, which yeah. I think can kind of happen for for a lot of us. But <laughs> I remember being really nervous to do it, but understanding that I needed to let myself do it. and. Yeah. It didn't matter if there was going to be judgment or acceptance. And as I'm saying that out loud now, it's interesting because a lot of what I've been talking about with other guests or as a guest on other shows is -hmm. that need and that feeling and that desire for connection and acceptance from people. And something that I think is really beautiful about that part of my life where I was able to write was even if I had the insecurities, I felt like. I could push past that to express myself in a way that was written. And Mm -hmm. maybe it gives a little bit more objectivity almost to what it is that you're saying, even though it is so deeply personal, you're (laughs) saying something that you've written. It's not coming in just the form of dialogue to another person. So the word that's coming to mind right now is it's a little bit of a shield. So you feel like a little bit more protected when you're writing it and sharing your writing. Um, But maybe it's also more vulnerable. So I guess (laughs) it kind of depends, I guess, on the moment. It does. And listening to you, like the word I came up was like safety blanket. Like, yes, I'm telling my story and it's scary and I'm being vulnerable, but through the form of poetry, it's not so scary. Like if I were to just like walk around and be like, Hey, this is what happened to me other than when I was little and, you know, say it in such a poetic form, it is like holding on to that safety blanket or that shield that, Hey, I can do this. I can tell my story. And it's not so scary, even though there is still that bit of vulnerability there. I don't know how to explain that, (laughs) but it's visceral. I get it. I actually just got goosebumps thinking about it. And then I also thought, well, this is probably something I'll bring up in therapy um, because it's like, you know, it is a way to share your story that 
doesn't have to be as direct. And something that I love about poetry is how much room there is for interpretation, much like with song lyrics, which arguably are their own poetry. You hear a song and you relate to it and you relate to it, even if the words meant something different to the person who wrote the song or the person singing the song, you interpret that and you take it on in your own way and apply that Mm -hmm. to your life. And I feel like poetry is so much like that. And when people are nervous about it or feel like it's hard, I think it often can be that there's this expectation that you understand what it means very deliberately and and that there's only one way to interpret it. And in reality, I think the fluidity of interpretation when it comes to poetry is actually what makes it so wonderful and so universal in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. It goes back to like when I used to have to interpret poetry for like English class. Yeah. We all would come up with something different and there was no right or wrong answer. I mean, I could have came up with something completely different than what the author and poet intended. But really, when you write poetry, it's a healing experience for yourself and however the author takes it, however they apply it to their life and their experiences, because we all can listen to the same song and have different experiences internally based on what we did growing up or how we were raised. I mean, there's so I mean, I feel like poetry is universal. You know, you could share a poem with me. And I could love every single thing about it. And the next person would be like, I don't really know what she was trying to say. Totally. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sometimes I look back and I'm like, what was I even writing about? What <laughs> yeah, even happened? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you when you said that too, it really made me think about something that you had said when we first spoke that stuck with me was that poetry is its own language. And that just was such a beautiful way of thinking of it because it really can, I think, proliferate throughout not just sort of regions in the world, but also time and and something, you know, in your bio that I really wanted to use when I was introducing you was a timeless soul. And I think that that's part of it is that poetry can transcend generations and what a magical gift that is. And it's, you know, when I think about it, it's like with Shakespeare is something I never really got into. Old English is not my thing. That type of poetry is not where it flows for me. I'm like, I would I, like to be, but it's hard. <laughs> I'm like, break that down for me in a way that I can yeah. understand. Like Chaucer, the Canterbury Tales. I I took an entire class on it. I'm like, I honestly don't know how I passed that class because I'm not entirely sure I understood anything that I was reading. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that when you look at the revival really of poetry with the onset of social media. It's like so many more people now feel like they have the freedom and the visibility to share their words. And so I think it really anchors around that idea that you shared about poetry being its own language. It's universal and it's a way to connect with people who are either like you or completely unlike you, but it's, it has gravity to it. Right. And it's almost like, you know, you could write a poem and post it on social media and feel as if that author or that poet was speaking directly to you. And the fun thing about it is a hundred other people were probably thinking the exact same thing. Absolutely. And I, yeah, I love how, you know, poetry is connection. It connects people. So, you know, whether you're in Illinois or in a different country, or anywhere else in the world, if you read a poem and say, wow, I felt like the author was talking just to me, and someone else says the same thing, we really are connected. It it connects us, you know, as a human race. It doesn't matter how you identify, what you look like, how you were raised, or where you came from. We all experience something that can really ultimately bring us all together. Oh, that's such a beautiful way of thinking about it, Anastasia. This is the... Your energy just makes me so happy. I was so looking forward to this (laughs) conversation because you're just such a beautiful soul in the way, first of all, you have just like a very calming tone. So I love that you have your other business where you help people heal because I feel like you just have like a soothing energy that would be ideal for that. Thank Um, you. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) The other thing that it makes me think too is that you really, in our first discussion and and the work that you're doing, you emphasize the importance of poetry in a healing journey. Do you feel like that was something that you came to later in life? Or was that something that you kind of acknowledged early on as you were starting to write? 
Yeah. So it was something that I experienced later on in life. When I first started writing poetry, it just came to me as an assignment in English class, grade school, maybe fifth grade. And it was just an assignment to write poetry and just seeing the reaction that my teacher had, like that was such a pivotal moment. Like teachers are so important anyways. And I know my teacher was in that moment when she's like, you should, you should continue writing poetry. This was really good. And for someone who already felt like I didn't belong and had nothing really to claim that was my own and feel special, that was a special moment for me because I'm like, wow, I really am good at something. And being a deep feeler, I could feel how she was feeling as she wrote my poet, read my poetry. So it wasn't until I got older and started going through like the experiences of like childhood trauma and, and painful events. Mm-hmm you know, breakups and, you know, losing friends. I was like, I need an outlet. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm bottling up all of my emotions. It's not healthy, but I also felt very shameful and having so many emotions. So I was like, well, you know, let me turn to the one thing that I do know, and that's poetry. And so I was like, you know, very experimental with it, writing about things that happened. And then I was like, I feel better. You know, like when you have like a really good cry, you're like, okay, I feel better. Like you just kind of sit there in calmness. Yes. (laughs) That's what I felt after writing a poem. So I would say like high school is when that kind of flipped for me, where my poetry became more healing, like going to a therapy session. Yeah. Whereas growing up, it was just kind of writing because I was like, hey, I'm good at it. This is mine. I feel special. And then it turned into that pivotal healing moment. And, you know, the one thing I used to hate the most about myself was my voice. Everyone was like, oh, you're so timid. You need to speak up or like taunt me, you know, oh, you're so quiet, you know, like really made me feel self-conscious about that. And now it's the one thing that I get to use to share my poetry. It's just very, you know, I always full circle. People, yeah, full circle. You know, I always encourage people to like, if there's something that you don't like about yourself, I encourage you to kind of flip the narrative because I, that was my downfall. I was like, I talk quietly. People are always telling me to speak up, but my voice goes with my poetry and like, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. <laughs> I have so many thoughts on what you just said. Okay. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do this in a fluid way. First of all, related directly to that, because I think it's really important is I love that you think of it that way now for yourself and, and claim your strength in your voice and also encourage other people to do that. And it makes me think about me using my voice. I'm the opposite, much louder. And I talk constantly, hence this, but I so much in my life, I was told to be quiet, stop talking. Yeah. You don't need to have the last word. You don't need to keep talking. Yeah. And even as an adult in my career. And sure, I'm I, I'm I'm certain sometimes that was totally valid advice. <laughs> but it also, as you said, it applies a sense of shame for yeah. doing this thing that you a way that you express yourself or a way that you are. And for me, very similarly, writing was an outlet for that. I lost friends. I was closeted for a really long time with my sexuality. I found ways to work through the life experiences that I couldn't communicate to other people or didn't feel comfortable communicating to other people by writing. And that was a way for me to not keep it all inside, like you said, but also there is power in putting it to paper. I think having it to reflect on, I mean, I've gone back and looked at some of the stuff that I've written. (laughs) There is a decent amount that is not good. I'm going to be honest. In (laughs) retrospect, maybe I thought it was, it's bleak, but then I look at it and I think what it's really doing is it's, you sort of write your autobiography in a way, you know, and it's kind of magical to go back and know where you were when you were writing that emotionally, or even literally where you were, because we attach so much sensation to poetry, I think in a lot of ways, more so than other literature, because it tends to be more brief. So it's certainly more memorable and can have more of that sort of hard hitting impact. But the visualization that comes with poetry, the level of interpretation, as we said, that comes with it 
it carves out a different type of memory, at least in my experience, where you don't just think, oh, back on that book and there was this chapter or this page that I remember. It's like, no, there's a distinct poem that stands out to me that I recall. And the reason that I remember it is this, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think too, like where you said, I don't even know if it was good. I used to think that way with my poetry. And I think when we kind of switch the narrative, I'm always about switching. I love it. I love it. Do it. Reframe it. (laughs) We have to, because if we stick to the same story, you know, we don't grow as a soul. And I used to look back and I'm like, oh, that poem, it's terrible. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was real, you know? And I think if we can help people see that whatever you put, there is power to putting your words on paper, like you said, as long as it's real, it doesn't really need to be good because what did it do for you when you put those words on paper? Yeah. You know, yeah. If we write so that it will be good, you know, I feel like we're taking our power away from that, you know? And if we share a poem, we're like, oh, I'm not sure this is really good. It's okay. It doesn't have to be good, but was it real? Did you pour yourself onto that paper and was it powerful for you? And did you get any healing out of it? Yeah. And is this something that you can look back on, like you said, and see where you were five years ago or what happened to you and how you reclaimed your power back? So I had to go through that journey too. Like, I want my poem to be good. I want people to read it and be like, wow, that was amazing. But really, I want people to be like, wow, that was real. Yeah. Like what yeah. she put on paper was real. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've gotten goosebumps this many times on a conversation <laughs> with somebody because it's just so relatable and it is real. It's yeah. your authenticity is just so powerful and it's so inspiring to hear the way that you not only speak about writing, but the way that you translate it into that state of healing. Because yeah. I think a lot of times it's very easy to, as you said, get stuck in that sort of cycle of criticism. What will people think? What do I even think of it? You're mm-hmm. putting something out there. You're being vulnerable. And when you were speaking about your teacher around in fifth grade that, you know, had read your poem and validated you, Mm -hmm. it's funny because I think for me, it was around fifth grade also. My teacher at the time, Mrs. Peachy, who is like the best fifth grade teacher (laughs) name ever. It um, is. She was really encouraging. We had journals that we had to write in almost daily, if I remember. And Mm -hmm. that's where my passion for writing really started to evolve. And as I was getting older, one of the things that encouraged me to write more was also having more access to computers because I think faster than I can write by hand. So for me, a lot of it was like, I can't get my thoughts out fast enough to articulate the things that I want to articulate. And so sometimes when I'm writing, it requires me, especially like to focus on poetry. I feel like you need to feel called to do it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll sit there and be like, I want to write something. What am I going to write? Try, try, (laughs) you know, get something on paper. And after you and I had spoken on our intro call, I sat down and I was feeling so inspired by our conversation. And I sent you two poems that I'd written. And I was, I was just (laughs) like, this is so amazing to know that these parts of myself that, you know, for whatever reason have been kind of put on the back burner. I think there was a lot of trauma happening in my life. So the thing that you're not necessarily thinking about in the midst of all of it is let me write it down. I think it's when you have the space and the capacity to look at it and feel it more, then you can put it down. And I was just so grateful that our conversation led me down a path of feeling that again and, and wanting that again, because it took away that critical eye and that critical mind and gave me a chance to say, okay, you know what? It's not about what you're going to think of it, but I want you to know, like you said, this is real. I felt inspired from our conversation and I was able to look at my life and say, these are the things that are coming together right now in this moment. And what a gift to be able to share that with you, knowing that the conversation that we had brought me to a place where I had that inclination. And I felt that visceral knowing that like something's in me right now, it's stirring and it's got to come out. (laughs) I'm trying not to cry. I'm like (laughs) so emotional. Like, oh gosh, I just, I love hearing that for you. So I just need a minute to please take (laughs) your time. Oh my gosh. I was, I felt so special in that moment. Like not that you just shared it 
with me, but the fact that you could write poetry, that you felt that call, you know, to do that, it made me happy because I I don't even remember where the quote came from or where I read it, but it's like, imagine if the whole world spoke the language of poetry, like oh, imagine how that. understanding we would be towards one another and how compassionate we would be when things are happening to our neighbors and just the fact that, you know, our conversation had the power to invoke you to write poetry. Like, I just felt special. And it made me think of that quote, like, I'm speaking the language of poetry. Now someone else is, you know, and you might inspire someone to write poetry as the days go by. And I don't know, I just feel like that's so powerful and so beautiful. And I'm just super emotional. (laughs) No, I love it. I, I, it's so connective, like you said, and I think that that's where we we lose ourselves sometimes. You know, we we get so caught up in the day-to-day and we think about the things that we have to do and something you and I have related on in our original call and then also as we were kind of starting this conversation was that feeling that your soul is not doing what it's meant to do in the job that you have right now, your full-time job. Yeah. And there is this fear of this is what I've felt. And please tell me if this is what you, you feel or how you feel differently, but it's like, I'm squandering my purpose Mm -hmm. by allowing myself to live this life in a way that doesn't capitalize on Mm -hmm. the gift that I've been given, which is to communicate and to connect with people. Yes, absolutely. I wouldn't have said it any better. (laughs) I do feel like that, you know, I have a full-time job now where I'm miserable. It's not just, oh, I don't feel like going to work. When I get there, I feel miserable. It's a feeling inside of my body. It's not just, a, oh, well, I don't feel like going today. It's, I really don't belong here. Yes. And I've got to do something about it because the gifts that I have are not being put to use here. And our souls know that. And that's why we get those feelings like, I'm really not happy here. I'm not happy in this relationship or what's going on in my life. We got to make changes. And the changes are scary. They are scary because I don't know, I was conditioned to, hey, work hard, get a good job that pays your bills. And I'm that's the thing that matters. Yeah, that's what matters. As long as you can pay your bills and your car payments and you know, you don't have to need for anything. And right now I don't, so I should be happy, Yeah, but I'm not. I'm right. looking at jobs where I can p- take a pay cut and well, looking elsewhere, you know? <laughs> it's sort of the point of diminishing returns too. Like I left my tech role a couple of weeks ago. I am leaning on my savings for the time being. And it's an extremely uncomfortable feeling because that's mm-hmm. a finite amount of money. Right. And the other thing that I think is hard in those moments is you're challenged. You're faced with really committing to the thing that you feel passionate about. And that in and of itself is scary, no matter how right it feels, because it's not like you, you're like, well, I'm just committing to the thing that I meant to do. And the, the Mm -hmm. abundance of money will just flow through and no problem. Right. It sounds nice. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) That will happen, confident, right? right. <laughs> but but it's not just the fl- you flip the switch and it's all happening like that. And so yeah. the gradual progression through those emotions of, you know, I'm doing this thing that I don't really want to do, but it's fine. I'm getting paid or I'm getting paid mm-hmm. well and this will work out and it's all fine, fine, fine. Yeah. And I know the feeling you're talking about, Anastasia, so, so immensely yeah. because I felt it at every single job I've ever been mm-hmm. at with the exception of the last role where I was and not yeah. because I wasn't, I was doing the thing that I meant to do, but because the company was a healthy place to be. Oh, so it's like yeah. <laughs> that changed things also, but, Absolutely. but it's like, what that showed me was even when I'm in an environment where I feel like my professional needs are being met in the confines of what I'm doing yeah. for a product management job, my <laughs> soul is still like screaming, like it yeah. feels like it's in prison and it's being, you know, kind of just caged away from all of this potential. And so it, it's sort of like you're on the inside looking out at these green pastures being like get me out of here like I can do something with that I can go achieve more but that relies on a lot of courage and strength of character and also I mean 
not everybody has the means to do it. So I don't want to be sound ignorant in like, oh, just like quit your day job. Like I've been broke as a joke. So like, I understand (laughs) what keeps us where we are sometimes. Me too. But I also think that people are, as you said, like we've kind of been conditioned to accept what we've been given and not ask ourselves what we truly want. And I think that that applies both personally and professionally because getting out of a really bad relationship and getting into a really healthy relationship, you're like, why did I accept so little in my life? Why was I allowing that to happen? And it's like, so you have to do a lot of self-reflection and you have to be accountable to the decisions you made that landed you where you are to be able to fulfill what your soul is asking for. Absolutely. There were so many thoughts that you said. So for me, uh, before my job now and before the partner I'm with now, I was at a horrible workplace. I had you know, I was being bullied and I was leaving work sick to go home to a place that made me sick too. So I had no peace. I, get I was that. in a toxic relationship and then I was being bullied at work. So I had no peace and I was leaving both to avoid both. And so I really came to the realization that I'm making myself sick. I can't do this anymore. So I left my full-time job and I left the relationship I was in and I mourned for days. Now you think like leaving both of those obviously was the right decision, but it still felt so wrong. I was like, I almost felt as if, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Or I might just take this person back because what did I just do? So sometimes the right decisions will, will feel wrong. But there's some healing that needs to be done. I needed to properly mourn because it was still a loss. Yep. You know, I yep. still spent four years of my life there and four years of my life with this person. It's still a loss. And I had to mourn that. But had I not left, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And I learned so much from both of those situations. And absolutely, it always reminds me too, like, is my fear keeping me small or is it keeping me safe? Because I think we let fear win. In some instances, fear is necessary. It's why I'm alive today. You know, if I didn't have any fear, I would just go do something really reckless that would hurt myself. Right. But sometimes we can let fear just be like, hey, you want to get in the back seat? I'm driving today. I know what I'm doing. We're okay. You know, because I'm on to something bigger. Yeah. I had to realize that like, if I stayed at that job and I stayed in that toxic relationship, I was keeping myself small. Because I was afraid to move on to something bigger, or I felt like there wasn't anything bigger for me. This was it. Yeah. Well, well, that's a really (laughs) poignant statement too, because I think we do keep ourselves small. It Mm -hmm. there. My wife always says to me, "She's not. She doesn't have a fear of failure. She has a fear of success." And I'm like, "Okay, let me try to process (laughs) that." I have both. I think. But I think my fear of failure is if I have success, what if I fail once I'm there, right? It's like, I don't want to like have a high and then watch it fall. And what you described with the toxicity of the relationship and the workplace, I was in the exact same boat. Um, And to the point where when I left my ex and then I very shortly thereafter left a toxic work environment landed in what I thought was going to not be a toxic work environment, but then really was the ultimate catalyst for me being like, as you said, I was physically sick. I like could not function. Your body will tell you that shit is not okay. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Right. And you're like, so (laughs) if you can't avoid it anymore, then you need to acknowledge how you can move forward and feel the way that you want to feel. And the thing that is hard, I feel in those moments is recognizing that we do hold some accountability in staying in those places and and allowing ourselves to be small now that's not to elicit shame it's just mm-hmm. that you, it's kind of one of those things that until you're out of it looking back at it you don't really understand as much as you right. you do now and one of my friends who I recorded an episode with had said to me you know, you left when you could referring to my relationship, but it's Mm -hmm. also like, that's the same thing with work. And we, we do try, right. We, we understand, we feel it, we know it's not right. And we try to find the ways out, but it's not just so cut and dry that you're like, 
I've made this distinct decision. I have no emotional attachment to this circumstance. I'm just going to go problem solved. And especially you and I are very deep feelers. Yeah. So as somebody who's like that, the, for me, it's like the loyalty to something or the connection to something perceived connection in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then it's like, I now have to let go of what I've convinced myself this is or could be and recognize what reality is in front of me. And then I can start making the right choices for myself. Yes, exactly. I think it all comes down to awareness. Like if you have that awareness, it's okay to not know what's next too, because sometimes you will have that feeling in your body like, okay, I know this isn't it, but I'm also kind of scared because I don't know what else is for me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's okay too. There is beauty in the unknown. There's beauty in the mystery. You know, it's an opportunity to get to know yourself better. Be like, okay, so maybe I don't know what's next or what I want to be or who I want to be with, but maybe I could just go out there and see what the options are. Yes. You know, and then like you just see this whole new world in front of you and you're like, well, I never really thought about being a painter, but I could try it out, you know, because sometimes we have hidden talents, you know, that we don't know about. That's so true. That's such a good point. (laughs) And I love that you said that too, because it's, you know, who do we want to be? How do we want to be? How do we want to show up in the world? What is it that we aspire to? And if you don't give yourself the chance to explore new things, then you're also keeping yourself small in that sense of, well, this is what I'm capable of. And this is the only thing that I, the only level that I can reach or the only direction that I can go. And, you know, it just makes me think about how I recently in the last year and a half moved up to Canada because my wife's Canadian. And even just the idea of, I always wanted to move to the West coast, being from the East coast when I was younger, thought it would be California eventually wasn't, it was Seattle, love Seattle. And then I'm like, so that happened in a way where I was like, Oh, okay. I'm in this new place. I'm going to take advantage of this new opportunity and let it be what it is. And then now ending up in Canada, I'm like it, if you had asked me (laughs) at any point in my life, if I thought I would be living in Canada, I would have been like, why? Yeah. Why why would I be in Canada? (laughs) What would ever bring me to Canada? Right. And so I think allowing yourself to appreciate those unknowns is also really important because we, we get it in our heads that life is supposed to be a certain way. And (laughs) we often compare, um, which is just obviously a huge detriment. And I think when you get to a place where you can kind of clear out the noise and give yourself Mm -hmm. the space with like your own life, your expectations of your life or your wants and needs for your life, not even expectations. Then you can start to, as you said, like gain that awareness. And, you know, what are the things that you want to try more of? What are the things that you want less of in your life? That can be people, Mm -hmm. that can be things, that can be places, that can be any noun. And it's like, (laughs) but at the end of the day, it really comes back to like, are you happy? Do you Mm -hmm. feel good? And if you don't feel happy and you don't feel good, then like change your circumstance. And I say it as if it's a lot easier than it is. So I don't want to minimize the the strength that it takes or the time that it can take to get there. But at the end of the day, we have that free will and we need to exercise that to be able to be who we want to be and achieve what we want to achieve. Absolutely. And I think there's like no desired goal. So I could say I'm going to be a poet for the rest of my life. I just limited myself in so many things because I also like to write and Mm -hmm. draw and paint and color and be creative. So if I just said, well, I I know I want to be a poet, so I'm just going to stick with that. Poet is my life and I love it. But there's so many other like avenues that we can take. You know, if we just limited ourselves to one road only you know, we're missing out on the beauty on the left side and on the right side, there's so many things that we could dabble into. And I'm actually going to use my hair as an example. I, I don't like my hair. I just changed it. And I was like, this isn't it. This isn't it. But (laughs) I had to try it, you know, try the things. And if you don't like it, it's okay. I'll probably just try another color or go back to black. I don't know yet. But I know this isn't it and that's okay. I tried it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that you just gave that as an example because we do those things, right? We we change the hairstyle or color or we do makeup differently or we try a different style outfit or something. And you're like, I don't know what I was thinking. That wasn't the (laughs) best choice, right? And 
at the same time, as you said, it's it's a data point. It tells us something we like or we don't like, something we want to continue or something we want to stop. And yeah. I think when you consider life in that way, it opens up so much more opportunity to you. As you were describing sort of the what you see on the left, what you see on the right, I imagined just being on a train um, because like you see both sides so clearly and you're not yeah. driving so you can actually pay attention, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and thinking about that and the way that we see these pieces of just the world around us in su- through such different lenses, depending on the moment in our life, where we are, who we're with. And to tie it back to, you know, the art that you, that you do with poetry and the idea of healing, it's like, we as humans are meant to evolve. And so the way that we communicate our feelings, the way that we heal through the things that we're experiencing, that also can evolve. So whether that's through different styles of writing or different art forms, or maybe no art form at all, maybe it's like you want to go do some sort of physical activity that like requires you to exert yourself. There's so (laughs) many different ways that people can find that niche that suits that moment in your life, because we're constantly changing. And if you're open to the evolution, then I feel like the options are so limitless in a lot of ways. Yeah. It kind of takes the pressure off of you. Like you don't have to have something set in stone, you know, it takes that pressure of trying to figure out what's next instead of just being like, you know, I've always kind of been drawn to pottery. I don't think I'll be good at it, but I'm going to sign up for a pottery class and I'm just going to see where that goes. Totally. pressure off I'm not going to be the next you know handcrafter yeah but pottery brings me a sense of peace that I've never felt in my life so I want to keep trying that again yeah you know if you said well I'm not really good at pottery then you just had limited yourself from obtaining peace that you've never had in your life so I understand you know it is scary we don't know what's next we don't know what to do but we know that where we are now it's not it and you can say this isn't it I don't know what's next and that's okay. We're going to figure it out. I'm going to dabble in this beautiful mystery of my life and see the things that I like. I'm going to be open to being surprised. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That can be like an affirmation when you wake up in the morning. I am open to being surprised. Life, what do you have for me? Let's do this. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Life, what do you have for me? Good things. Good things. <laughs> so your perspective is just so great. I, I'm i curious with the work that you do, um, the other modalities that you use, do you integrate writing with those or do you sort of practice those separately? Like how do you actually engage with clients when you're going through that yeah. process? I used to keep them separately. Now I'm trying to integrate them. And as of today, actually, I met with like a local art gallery in town and we are, I'm going to do spoken word poetry and artists in town are going to come in and kind of paint or draw or whatever their media is of creating in accordance with what I'm saying. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I'll also be doing my crystal singing bowls as like, um, you know, give them time before I jump into the next poem to finish what they're. So it's going to be like a whole collaborative healing poetry art night. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, I I used to keep them separately, but I'm like, now how can I merge the two worlds together? Because poetry is healing, my modalities are healing, and I think I can incorporate them together. I love that you're doing that. I think it's so important. These are the things that differentiate people. And in a world where we are saturated with just content constantly, And there's so many people who have similar interests. It's really about the way that you do it that feels right for you. One of our Mm -hmm. good friends um, has been a hairstylist for her whole career and recently got her real estate license. And she's very fashion forward. She pulls off stuff that I'm like, literally nobody else but you could pull this off. Like, I don't (laughs) understand how it works. I wish I could. That would never happen. I admire from afar. And... (laughs) She was saying how, you know, going into real estate, she's kind of missing like the connectivity with people and the things that make her feel connected to herself, honestly. And so it's like, it's so much about sales that it takes a little bit away from the parts of herself that really shine in her personality, her style, her, her vibrance. And she was saying, you know, I feel like if there's a way to tie in my love for fashion and real estate. And I'm like, do it. 
do it yes. because people <laughs> want something different. People love to see the combination of ideas that people have. There's Absolutely. magic that happens when you take the things that you're good at and combine them and don't just try to stick to this is what everybody does. So this is how you have to do it. So what you're describing with your spoken word poetry and having artists do their thing while you're doing it. Oh my God. I wish I was closer. I would love to show up for that and just witness it. Um, but I, I think that that's just such a really incredible way to offer people, you know, a chance to hear your words and, and imbibe what you're, you're putting out there, but then also express themselves through your yeah. words in a way that's unique to them. Like, oh man, I just have like such good vibes about it. You have to let me know how it goes. I sure will. I sure will. I'm super excited. And, you know, coming from a deep feeler, that's what I always want for people. It's just an opportunity to, to feel because I grew up thinking that I was weird for having all these emotions and feelings and it was strange and it was weird. And I, I couldn't really navigate that. Yeah. And I was like, there's other people out there too, but they're so out of touch with their feelings. Yeah. You know, there's this, like this emotional block, there's this wall, they don't even know how to tap into their feelings. So I was like, this is another opportunity to use my gifts as being an emotional feeler to help other people feel too. Sometimes those feelings are going to bring up memories that aren't beautiful. They're not pretty, you know, but let's work through them because feel the them. longer, yeah, feel them, feel through them and let them feel their way out of you. Yeah. Because if you suppress them, you know, that's why we're sick. That's why there's diseases. That's why, because the energy is trapped within you and it has nowhere to go. Yeah. And so energy doesn't die. It just transforms. And so if you're sick or depressed or sad and, all of those emotions that you don't know what to do with, you got to let them come out. You have to bring them to the surface. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, based on that, do mm -hmm. you feel like, or actually not even do you feel like, in terms of the timing of exiting your last relationship and the toxic job that you were at, do yeah. you were you already sort of on this journey of healing the way that you just described or is that something that really kind of came into your life at the departure from those relationships um it happened kind of simultaneously i think because i had started the journey that's why i was so able to leave the toxic job and work or the job and the relationship because i had just started my spirituality i you know i didn't know about affirmations or the power of choosing you and i had just started learning all of that and i think it was that little bit of courage i needed to leave both of those and it was because of my journey that i knew it was okay to be upset you know, at the time I was commuting 25 minutes to work and I cried the whole way home all the rest of the night and the next day afterwards. And the old me would have been like, what are you doing? Get it together. Stop crying. It's nothing to cry about. You should be happy. You just left this terrible place. But the new me knew, okay, yes, this is weird. You know, I, I mean, I am happy I left my job, but I'm also very sad because of all of the things. You well, know, it's a transition. And there's grief, even yes, like, yeah. I leaving my uh, relationship with my ex happens at happened at the same time that my mom passed away really unexpectedly. So I was navigating like two very very different types of grief because Absolutely. things did not end well with my ex. It was bad, bad, and mm -hmm. it's like it was such a realization for me that the grief of losing a loved one, especially like a mother, um, yeah. was the, the most grief that I've ever felt in my entire life, like hands down. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the grief from leaving this relationship was not the sadness of this relationship is over. Um, I think there was a lot of grief that came sort of coupled with shame to why yeah. I stayed so long, why I accepted what I accepted, why I allowed myself to be gaslit, like things yeah. that therapy has helped me negotiate with myself and think differently <laughs> yeah. about but in those moments you you sort of you get so sucked into those emotions that as much as you want to be like this is unreasonable i need to just get it together i'm out of the situation it's better your body and your brain and as you said like the energy like you're still releasing that it's not like oh that's just done now it's gone yeah. it's in the past like <laughs> 
you've held on to all those emotions and all of that energy for so long that it doesn't just immediately dissipate. You have to, you have to work, as you said, you have to feel through that. And one of the things that I think is so important that my therapist said to me, um, probably a couple of years ago now was Mm -hmm. that I needed to stop intellectualizing my feelings. And I was like, "Mm, hold on one second. (laughs) Okay. Um, tell me more about what you mean by that, because much like you, I'd be like, I'm, I'm a feeler. Like I'm a very deeply emotional person. I understand my emotions. And it's like, yes, you do. Yes. (laughs) But are you sitting with them? And like, giving yourself the space to truly feel it and process it, not just analyze it and process it, but physically feel it, physically release it, give yourself like the cleanse that you need. And when you're in the thick of it, especially for me, I felt like with the immediacy of a departure, it was like a lot of analytical assessment of my emotions and not the let yourself feel it. This is what you should do now. Now with my mom, that was like primarily feeling. Um, yeah, and because that was just like so abrupt and so intense. But do you feel yeah. like you've operated historically in from a place of like analyzing your emotions rather than feeling them before you got to the place that you are now? Yeah, I think it's because no one else understood. So, you know, here I am feeling all the things and not understanding why, but then no one else is either. And so they would ask me, well, why are you crying? I'm not sure. Yeah. Or why do you, why are you feeling this way? And I'm like, I don't, I could never really come up with an answer. You know, sometimes just being an empath in this world, you know, I'm picking up on something that's happening elsewhere. You're like, shit's not good. (laughs) Yeah. It's just something's not good, you know? And they're like, well, that's nothing to cry about or whatever you're crying about. It's okay. You'll get over it. So I had like this internal conflict, like, well, why am I crying? Why does that make me sad? And so I would like, sit in the shameful part of my emotions even though I was feeling them I was sitting in the shame as well like did it feel like those comments oh I'm sorry go ahead oh no you're okay yeah it's okay did did it feel like those comments were invalidating your feelings by saying like oh that's nothing to cry about or you don't need to cry about that yeah so it made me feel like so then it was like more conflict it's because like okay well why is that making me sad And why isn't this other person feeling sad about X, Y, and Z? And so then I, you know, I did sit in shame for a while. And anytime something would happen to me, my initial response is to cry. I'm a crier. And it's like, you know, you can't help but smile when something makes you happy. Mm -hmm. That was me with tears. Like if it, the minute that I could feel the water in my eyes, there was no, okay, push it back, push it back. No, they were already coming out. Yeah. But it was the aftermath. I'm like, I don't know how to stop this. And I don't know how to to tell people how I'm feeling. And there was shame around that. Instead of just sitting with my emotions and letting my body regulate, I was just sitting with the shameful feeling of like, I'm emotional. I'm an emotional person. It's okay. It is my body regulating. Well, I love that you just said that too, because the emotional (laughs) regulation and dysregulation, they're very real things. And I, that's not something I learned as a kid. I was very emotional in like a, an erratic sort of way. Um, I, I, my thing was, as I said, I talked a lot. So it was sort of like mouthing off and getting angry about things. Yeah. And just the term mouthing off, because I think about my mom saying it. and. I think about that and it's like, because I didn't understand how to communicate what I was frustrated about. This is still something I deal with today. Ask my wife, because I can get like irrationally annoyed about something that is so stupid, but um, <laughs> like, she's sort of similar to you where it's like, if she's overwhelmed with emotion, she's going to cry about it. And yeah. she'll say her Pisces is showing. And then I'm the, I'm the Scorpio. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm like, like ready yes. to sting on a moment's <laughs> notice. And it's like, Trying to navigate that requires what you said earlier is the awareness. You know how you're prone to react. So the thing that you need to understand is based on that knowledge, what can you do to help bring yourself to a place of regulation in a healthy way? And honestly, like sooner than later, it's not that you don't want to feel the things that you're feeling, give yourself the Mm -hmm. space with it. But do you find, because for me, I feel like there is a point where I'm like, okay, 
that's enough now. Like we can, (laughs) especially if I'm crying about something and I'm super overwhelmed or sad about the state of the world, I can be like, oh my gosh, this is enough. I feel like the thing that I learned about emotional regulation too, that was super helpful for me was because you do feel it in your body. That's an important thing for people to understand and be able to identify where do you feel it? When do you notice feeling it in the same places or certain ways? And then Mm -hmm. based on that response, what way of regulating can help? Like, so for me, two things, one that my therapist recommended was like listening to something with like a good drum beat that you can kind of like latch onto. And so you're just kind of like going to the rhythm of that. And the other thing that I do, um, she had recommended early on sort of like, if you have a rocking chair or something, you can kind of like sway back and forth with, well, I have a hammock under my desk. So like when I'm like really having a moment, (laughs) I will like go fetal (laughs) position in my hammock and just like sway back and forth. I'm like, let's get, it's like, we're in the womb, just get back to the center, you know? (laughs) So, So it's like, you have to give yourself the space to feel those things and to understand what those feelings are telling you. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you said in the beginning, you know, our bodies are talking to us. So if you tap into where you're feeling it, what kind of pressure or is there tension? Is it in your chest, in your heart, in your gut? You know, your body is always talking to you and it's important to listen. You may not understand what it's saying, but the more that you tap into your emotions and the feelings that reside within you, the more you'll uncover about yourself. Like, okay, I know that right now I'm feeling tightness in my chest. Mm -hmm. So for me, this means that I need to, and then you can fill in the blank, you know, and it is a process of uncovering yourself. Sometimes we still don't understand ourselves. You know, we live with ourselves all day long, yet we still can't explain who we are. What's going on in there? Yeah. What's going on? I'm not sure. But the more that you tell your body, I'm listening to you, you'll get those signs and um, be able to tap more into yourself and see I'm okay. And like you said, you get to this point where you're like, okay, I'm good. That's enough. I don't, cause I get into a state of panic if Same. I allow myself I'll perpetuate to perpetuate it going. Yeah. And then we're not regulating at that point. The whole, no, it's point. like, I'm being a little bit sadistic. It's like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't stop. have to suffer more. <laughs> We don't have to suffer more. I love that. I'm going to start using that. Like, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to suffer anymore. <laughs> Just well, allow your body to regulate. <laughs> yeah. Well, and something that the way you tied that together really felt like it linked back to the concept of how we find ourselves writing poetry, feeling through poetry, healing through poetry is because you might not know and you're putting the words on paper and you're expressing yourself and you're giving a chance for the things that you're feeling to find a way out. And so it's like in a lot of ways that can be a method of regulation to give yourself the space with it, to be able to put it somewhere and then come back to it also when you're in a more regulated state. Absolutely. Cause it's just a form of release. So maybe if you're listening to your body and you're not sure what it's saying, write about it. You know, I am experiencing yeah. tightness in my chest. I'm unsure of what this means for me. I'm trying to look for signs and symbols and clues that will help me understand myself. And right now I don't know, but I'm willing to learn more about myself. I'm willing to open my ears and and see what my body is trying to tell me. And then just sit with that. And yeah. then you might actually be like, actually, I feel kind of good. That felt good because whatever was in your chest, maybe you just put on your paper. Without, I actually did know. this the other day. I did this <laughs> the other day and then I read it to my therapist. And I, I was really proud because the look on her face was like, this is working for you, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, my wife and I had gotten into it's like, I don't even know. It wasn't an argument. It wasn't a disagreement. It was just like kind of a moment of tension because I had done something for her, uh, her business, taken some photos that I was thinking, okay, she'll probably like these. They'll be good for the website, whatever. And Mm -hmm. they didn't really fit the bill for what she was looking for. I immediately took it personally. And then I was like, okay, this is not good. I need to deal with myself for a second. And so I went and into my Apple notes and I just started writing how I was feeling. I was like, I just need to get this out because I don't want to react to her. I want to process what I'm feeling. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned as a good way to give myself grace in those moments as well because I think that's important when you're trying to heal through something too, is being patient and giving yourself grace yeah, is huge. 
right? I, I feel like I used to be so annoyed when people would tell me to give myself grace. And now I'm like, no, you have to. Otherwise you're just <laughs> right. Like, like, what do you mean by give myself grace? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, I'm sorry. I only know how to be extremely critical. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but the thing that really helped me process that entire situation was at one point, I don't remember, maybe a couple of months ago, my therapist had said to me, well, what would you say to your niece who's five? If mm. she came to you with something like this, think about if it's hard for you to access the younger parts of yourself that are being triggered, that are resulting in this behavior, who is a young person in your life that you could think as an adult, this is how I would compassionately respond to them. And so I wrote it that way. And I thought, well, what I would tell my niece is that it's okay if somebody doesn't like what you did or that what you did maybe isn't what is needed for something, because that doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough or you're not worthy. And so I'm like writing all this out to my nieces, but it's really to myself. And I'm like, this is so rational. Why (laughs) rationalize it so well when it's not, when I don't have to think about it in the confines of like my own or like in the realm of my own life. And it was such a healing moment for me to be able to be like, I understand now, like I understand now where that came from in this like visceral young self, like that was needing the validation and then being able to transform that. And as you sort of said, like from the beginning, reframing it, like tell yourself a different narrative. It's like, it's not that you are not good enough. That is not what this is about. And that right. was by no means what my wife was saying either. It was yeah, just exactly. like, we hold on to all this stuff and we're like, this is what something says about me. And it's like, it <laughs> yeah. probably isn't that at all, but yeah, you have to, not. you have to decide that like you can be comfortable with the discomfort of exploring that. Absolutely. And like other people have certain needs. So, you know, sometimes we can't supply that, but yes. that doesn't mean what we can supply isn't good enough. You know, the, the things that I bring to this world are very needed, but not everyone will need them. And that's yes. okay. So if someone says, well, that's not really what I'm looking for or not right now, or mm, I kind of like something different. If they like something completely different than me, that's okay because yeah. I don't yeah. like everything. There's yeah. things that I dislike in this world, but that doesn't mean that piece of art or that whatever is good or bad. You know, yeah. it's just based on perception. And I think back going back to like inner child too, like I have a niece who's five and like, I wanted to cry thinking about that. Like if she were to come to me, like I would pour love onto her, but it's so hard to pour love back onto myself who was once upon a time, a child, yes, you know, <laughs> totally. And I love the way that you just said that too. It, yeah. you're, you're so right. It's, that is, that's, that's the ability to give ourselves grace and and recognize that the way that we are or the reactions that we have are often rooted in this unhealed much younger part of ourselves in in moments in life that like we couldn't even recollect that have shaped this perception of ourselves yes (laughs) which is also mind-boggling and honestly a little annoying you're like, I know, right? Like, seriously, <laughs> they're like the part of your life, zero to six, that you most likely won't remember really almost any of is actually when your entire personality is developed. And you're like, yes. cool. All right, cool. Because like, I really didn't even have the awareness, but like, I have the awareness now and I can't go back and like, but you can. Well, that's exactly know? it, right? It's all the layers <laughs> that you've got to peel back to get there, but you can yes. do it. You're right. You can do it and have grace. And, you know, like if there's anyone that's watching or listening, it's like, okay, have grace. What does that mean? It's when you show up and you still get frustrated with yourself. It's okay to be frustrated, but pull back and be like, okay, but that's okay. I have every right to be frustrated with with what happened to me when I was little, but now I'm going to heal from that. Or if you still find yourself crying over every single thing. And if you do sit in that shame, that's okay. You don't have to shame yourself for being shame, you know, for sitting in that shame, but just be like, okay, I'm feeling immense shame right now. That's okay. I'm going to pull myself back and I'm going to heal from that. You know, that's what having grace means. It's not trying not to not do the thing. It's if you do the thing, apologize to yourself, forgive yourself, and then pull back and be like, okay. I'm and be right. compassionate to yourself. Be compassionate. Yeah. Because if you do the thing that you're shameful about and then you shame yourself some more, that's not having grace. You know, it it's is a vicious cycle. You, 
It is. You have to really forgive yourself and over and over again, too, because you are unlearning a lot of things while trying to learn so many other things. You know, that's a lot, even for an adult, especially for an adult. Yeah, (laughs) because we didn't we didn't grow up with the mindset that you had to navigate your emotions the way that I think we talk about it now, the way that publicly it's exposed as an important part of the mental health conversation. Like just the fact that, you know, you have gotten to a place in your life where you can look at it and say, you know, I was shamed or bullied for, you know, not for having being more soft-spoken or these things about yourself, right? You have to unlearn the shame that's associated with that, but you can't really unlearn that shame until you have the conviction in your strength of self and who you are to say, I accept and love myself for who I am. And now I will allow myself to release that shame. Yes, absolutely. Because it doesn't belong to me. You know, it was a part of my story once upon a time. And I realized that I have the awareness around it now, but it's time to write a new story. And this part of shame doesn't belong in these future chapters. You know, we're going to reshift the narrative. We're going to change the narrative and know that it's okay to have all of these things that you have to heal from. Baby steps is super important. And they're honestly more important than taking a big bite of something. Like I strongly encourage baby steps because they are very, very important. And 1% progress is still progress, you know, even if it is 1%, you know, and you don't have to say, okay, I'm, I'm completely healed from this now. I'm okay. I'm done. There's nothing going on. There's always going to be something that you have to learn from or yeah. grow from. That's evolution of the soul, you yes. know, so just have grace and, and be gentle with yourself, be kind and know that you have a gift to share with the world as well. You know, we're not just here to just be here. We're here to enrich the lives of those around us, to be an inspiration, to foster that healing. You know, they always say it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a village to grow as well. There's no way I could grow on my own. So reaching out to support systems and even resources or tools like poetry or art or music, like that can be your village too. Yes. And just have have grace, you know, give yourself grace. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I am so grateful for this conversation, Anastasia. This has been so wonderful, so enriching and <laughs> and just so thoughtful. I feel like this visceral soul connection with you, particularly the way that you described being younger and sort of that need for belonging and that not really understanding how to express your emotions because you felt them in a big way. And it, I, I admire who you are and how you've come into who you are, obviously not having known you when you were younger, but on such a personal (laughs) level, feeling that and seeing the way that you express yourself, the kindness, the compassion, the grace that you show in the conversation and the power of your words. I mean, you not just speaking, but the poetry that I've read of yours, that's just absolutely beautiful it, your gift, your art, your magic is so necessary in this world. And I'm grateful that you took the time to chat with me here, that you have been so insightful and that you are sharing these lessons with listeners, because I think we all really need to come back to ourselves and allow ourselves that space. And you just provided so much of that today. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate that. I just wanted to keep saying thank you after everything you said. Thank you. Thank you. Like interrupting you. Thank you. (laughs) I really appreciate that. But I appreciate our time together too. There's not a lot of moments I have in my life right now where I can just sit down. I mean, sometimes throughout the night, I forgot that we were doing a podcast. (laughs) Like it just felt like I was talking to a friend on Zoom or like FaceTime, you know, absolutely. and that's really valuable for me because I don't get that. I don't get the depthness of conversations that I crave and someone that's genuine and kind and that I feel like I can open up and be myself with. Just not afraid of what's going to come out of my mouth, but knowing that 
between the screen right now, it's a safe place. And I have felt that from our very first, our, you know, our very first interaction. So I appreciate you. This has been wonderful. (laughs) Oh gosh. Well, gang, that is all for this episode of Who the Fuck. But if you want to learn more about Anastasia and her business, you can visit summersolacehealing.com. And you can also check out her book, Oceans on Amazon. I will put the link to that in the show notes. And is there anywhere else you want people to follow you? Um, Instagram would be fine too, if they want to, cause that's where a lot of my poetry is. Perfect. So it's just Anna Marie poetry, A-N-A Marie poetry. Perfect. And we will catch you all on the flip side. Thanks for listening to who the fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.